The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy, trends, innovations, and debates. Now your host, Roger Waldron. Today my guest on Off the Shelf is Brian Friel. Brian is a co-founder of BD Squared, um, and today we're going to uh, have a wide-ranging discussion update on the multiple word IDIQ marketplace. What's going on? Um, I think it's quite a busy time for Brian. Wouldn't Brian? Is it is it a pretty busy time right now for you? It's extremely hectic, Roger. Yeah, I'm sure. But why don't we start with just talk a little bit about BD Squared and um, the services that you offer and how you support government contractors or co- and companies uh, seeking to enter the federal market. Yeah, so BD, BD Squared uh, has, has ended up focusing on predominantly best-in-class contract vehicles, that, and uh, we help people first get on those contract vehicles. So uh, in particular, we have a specialization in scorecard procurements, and that those uh, scorecard procurements have really taken off um, over the past few years. Um, but uh, you know, just as an example, on the CIOSP4 contract vehicle, every company that we worked with won the, won the contract. And, um, and we congratulations. Thanks a lot. Yeah. We've got similar success on other contracts. And then once people win the contracts, then we have a program where we help them, um, manage the flow of task orders and identify task orders to go after and team on them. And in in that program, our companies have won about a billion dollars in task orders over the past couple of years. Well, that's fantastic as well. And it, you know, to me, that sounds like you, you, you have to have a deep understanding of the market and understand, you know, the the focus of the evaluations and working with the companies. It's kind of, it's almost like putting up, I mean, I, you can t- correct me if I'm wrong. It's kind of like you're, you're telling a story and putting a pe- puzzle together, right, to get the points on these scorecard things. So you have to be able to identify the relevant uh, capabilities, history, experience to get the points. That sounds um, like a daunting task. It's almost it's almost like a uh, like a math problem, like a uh, mm-hmm. you know a written math thing that you have to solve, and so I kind of view it in that in that context, like I'm trying to get to you know I know what the uh, answer needs to be, and I need to get the answer to, and that's usually like a very high number, and I need to get the I need to tell the story that gets the number up to that uh, that amount that will win the contract. Right. Yeah. Um... It, that yeah, it's um, uh, it's an interesting dynamic way the market has shifted to focus on uh, you know the scorecard approaches and in that regard, uh, um, you know the top of mind for everybody these days is uh, the Polaris bid protest decision at the court of claims, um, the ramifications of it. Uh, what does it mean for Polaris itself? What does it mean for other IDITQ multiple award contracts that were contemplating using a similar model? Um, what's it mean for joint ventures? Cause that's one of the protest issues, but first just, just to level set Polaris procurement, what does that cover? So Polaris is, uh, meant to be the general services administration's government wide contract for it services. And it's, uh, divided into, uh, four components. One is a small business contract. Then the, there's a woman owned small business, um, set aside contract, 
a service disabled veteran and small business contract and a hub zone contract. So combined, they would kind of complete the suite of government wide contracts that GSA would have because GSA also has an unrestricted contract called Alliant 2 and they have a, a 8A vehicle called 8A Stars uh, 3. So they would, it, once Polaris gets awarded, they would have everything covered uh, uh, from a social economic and a small business perspective. Right. It's sort of like the replacement for a Alliant small business, right? At the end of the day. Yeah. Is that and fair? That, that's right. Alliant small business was supposed to be replaced by Alliant 2 small business. And that actually went to the, the decision went to the federal courts. Um, the courts ruled against GSA. And ultimately, GSA pulled the plug on Alliant to small business entirely and um, replaced it with Polaris. So unfortunately, we're in a little bit of deja vu because the, uh, we're it's kind of back in the same situation where Polaris, the replacement for Alliant to small business that was canceled because of a court case decision is now in trouble because of a court case decision. Right. And, that, and in the meantime, there's this gap in the in the marketplace right now for best in class. Uh, government-wide IT GWACs uh, at GSA with okay. regard to providing opportunities for, soci- you know, based on socioeconomic status. Um, so the Polaris decision, can you talk a little bit about the, you know, there were three grounds as, um, and, and the protester was successful on two of them. Why don't we unpack that first a little bit, and then we can talk about the ramifications of each of the uh, grounds that were sustained. Yeah, definitely. So the the uh, the simplest one was pricing. So GSA had intended to award the IDIQ without pricing on the notion that there's there's nothing to price at an IDIQ level. Um, the actual things that uh, services and products that can be priced are uh, executed at the task order level. So GSA was going to um, skip pricing and um, this, the court ruled against them on that. The second piece was around how protégés projects in that are submitting a bid as part of a mentor protégé joint venture are treated and the court ruled against um, GSA on how the protégés projects were treated. And the second question was, uh, or the last question uh, was, uh, could a company uh, be part of two JVs um, bidding on the same contract? And the court um, sided with GSA and against the protester in that case and said that um, that GSA could reasonably prevent a company from um, coming in in a bunch of different joint ventures. All right. So on the price, let's talk. Let's tackle the pricing issue because at first uh, might be the more straightforward of the two grounds mm-hmm. uh, where the protester won. Um, you know, so GSA, as you mentioned, they weren't evaluating price, and they cited to uh, Section Eight Seventy Six. Um, this is so-called in the community that authority to for civilian agencies not to evaluate price. Um, the sta- statutory language just focuses on, you know, uh, for services that are priced on a labor hour uh, basis. And I'm sort of, sort of paraphrasing it. Um, and I think ultimately the co- court, you know, looked at it and said, this is the plain, the plain language means that for, firm fixed price type work or other types of work that weren't, isn't necessarily priced on a labor hour basis, you have to evaluate price. Is that your reading of it as well? Yeah. And it's, I think it's an important point to make that this is around civilian agencies, right? DOD and NASA and the Coast Guard have different authority in regards to pricing. 
and there are plenty of unpriced IDIQs at um, DOD in particular. Um, uh, so in this case, you know, I think the the net result is that GSA will have to um, create a, a mechanism for evaluating price. Uh, and um, they've done it in the past by providing a list of labor categories, providing a estimate of the high end of the of the acceptable um, uh, salary range and the low end of the salary range, and then asking bidders to place their uh, price somewhere in between the two. And um, and then and then those rates are effective um, uh, for a limited number of orders. And that to me, that's it's you it's. Um, it's it's a it's a it's a weird thing that they just chose to protest that because it doesn't really help anybody that they're going right. to have pricing. Probably may today. even harm the protesters at the end of the day. Yeah. yeah, but it's also like, okay, fine, you know, they can they can do pricing evaluation at the IDIQ level, and uh, and they will, and 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 it, I don't I don't see the addition of pricing affecting anybody's ability to win. The, the the evaluation will still center around the score on the company's you know um, relevant experience and system certifications and clearances so it's um it's like okay you know congratulations <laughs> like you won that point that doesn't really help anybody but um, GSA can comply with it and and be fine with it right including the the protester I would submit probably does not actually help the small mm-hmm. business protesters at the end of the day over the long term um, your historical knowledge. I th- um, one of the things that I, that I wanted to pull out is, you know, what we're really talking about here ultimately probably is GSA going back to sort of the original Oasis model. Do you think where they did a sort of fair and reasonable price analysis and then awarded to the high high technical scores, high you know, on the scorecard? Is that the most likely scenario, um, you know, the not to do the best value trade-off analysis that, you know, has been so hard to do when you do these big multiple word IDIQs. Yeah. The, the, I think the phrase is highest technically rated with fair and reasonable prices. So you, your, your pricing becomes a pass fail. Are, are the, are your prices fair and reasonable? And the way they, and obviously the way they can say that is like, this is the low end, this is the high end, as long as your rate is in between. It's actually remarkable how many people have lost um, procurements because they don't keep their n- number in between those uh, high end and low end. Or, um, but uh, uh, I think that's what they'll go back to. That was what that was how pricing was done on Alliant Two, on Vets Two, on uh, the original Oasis, and ultimately, I think for all of GSA's future IDIQs. We'll we'll just we'll see GSA kind of keep to that. So in addition to Polaris having that kind of price evaluation, we'll also see the same thing happen on Oasis Plus. Right, and uh, I recall that 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 methodology was was actually challenged in a bid protest somewhere along the way as well. And I don't know if it was GAO or the court said this is that's an appropriate or you know didn't violate statute regulation to do the evaluation that way, if I recall correctly. So it's, it has been subject of scrutiny, um, that approach as well. So, Hey, Brian, we're already up on the break. So when we come back, we got to talk about the, uh, probably the more complicated aspect of the Polaris decision, how to handle evaluations of protégés on their joint ventures, some of protege agreements uh, in the, in the context of the Polaris scorecard, uh, yeah, that might be the more challenging of the two, two issues for GSA to address. Okay. Yep. Sounds good. 
Okay, so my guest today is Brian Friel. He's a co-founder of BD Squared. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Brian Friel. Brian is a is a co-founder of BD Squared, uh, a company that supports government contractors and offerors, and you know, uh, getting achieving award getting awards for these major IDIQs that are best in class, and then also supports their task order management process. Uh, and Brian, uh, when we took the break, we had kind of, I think, buttoned up the, the the protest issue that everybody wants to focus on, and that's how cost is evaluated in this and what the court concluded and how GSA may react on Polaris and others. But I think the more complicated issue is this joint venture mentor-protege evaluation. Um, can you sort of walk us through the you know, what, what the solicitation said and, you know, what the court concluded and <laughs> the quandary GSA is now in. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it is, it is really com- complex, right? So the, um, and I think it kind of stems from the fact that these, these IDIQs, you know, they get awarded for 10 years. And if you're not on them, you, um, you won't be able to bid on the task orders. And in particular, that's a challenge for companies that sized out of the small business program. So they've been successful, but they are. Uh, and so now they're like a 60, 70 million dollar company. They're considered a large business. And so technically they have to compete against billion dollar companies in the unrestricted space. So many of them are using mentor protege joint ventures to uh, keep a foot in the small business world so that they can uh, you know, kind of continue to generate revenue. So as a consequence of many of the, the, there has been kind of an expansion of the number of mentor-protege joint ventures and an, an increase in the importance of those MPJVs to the revenue aspirations of the, uh, the mid-tier companies. Um, and so the, the, the question of how do you evaluate mentor-protege JVs has become just a constant recurring um, issue in protests on all of these major vehicles. It slowed down the CISP4 contracts it um, got in the way on oasis uh small business on ramps uh it obviously is an issue on polaris and i think it, it stems from the fact that there's this uh conflict within the regulations where um agencies are asked to allow small businesses to pool their resources to go after these kinds of contracts and uh, a small business can rely on uh, other small businesses for past performance so in some ways um it's almost saying that a small business doesn't have to bring anything to the table. They can put together a team that can cover everything. Um, and then you've got the question of how do you handle men and proteges? And if um, GSA could say uh, all of the projects uh, could come from the mentor, but that is, you know, basically saying like a large business is competing on a small business contract. So, right. so, so GSA has attempted to find ways to limit the, uh, mentors uh, contributions to the uh, to the bid, uh, but then the regulations also say protege can't be treated more uh, 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 protege has to be treated more favorably in evaluations than small businesses. Okay, well if a small business doesn't they technically have to bring anything, how do you <laughs> how do you treat a protege in these situations? Like theoretically, they don't have to bring anything. So it's a it's a real complex issue for agencies to sort through. And what the court said was that the way Polaris was written, it was uh, it was treating proteges the same as 
other small businesses and that that wasn't there. So I think the uh, there actually the the uh, at the same time as Polaris as the Polaris court case came out, the Veterans Affairs Department is doing a contract called T4NG2, which is also a scorecard, very similarly set up to the Polaris um, uh, evaluation methodology. And uh, what the VA did was they issued an amendment. Um, so the bids went in, and then T, T4NG2 was reopened by the VA. And they added some language about how to handle protege projects. And it, it, I think it's actually a model that GSA might want to consider using for Polaris because it basically said that protege's projects, if they are, um, uh, let's say, the, uh, in, the, in the T4NG2 model, if you had a project that was over um, you know, $30 million, it was worth 30 points. And now what the T4NG2 thing is saying that a protege's project, if it's worth $10 million or more, it gets the same points. So in that way, the protege's project is be, being treated more favorably right. while not having to rip apart the whole evaluation methodology. So players could do something similar. And I think we'll end up seeing similar responses across other IDIQs where the protege's get a little bit of an edge in the scoring evaluation um, uh, and typically based on the dollar value of the projects that they're providing. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. So based on the fact that they're part of a, a better protege, they, they're they going to have, a, in a certain sense, a lower threshold, right, to get the maximum amount of points as opposed to, a, you know, standalone small business, I guess, who's like in your example that, you know, 30, 30 million dollars with task order gets 30 points. And to say that's the max, you know, it does, it does, it does directly address it um, in, in a way. And I, and I guess given where they were in that procurement, that's, that's a pretty quick fix. And, and it, did they have the closing already? So nobody's objected to that approach. It hasn't closed yet. They extended it out to June 14th uh, and okay. they made, some, they made some other changes uh, in it that are probably not apropos, but it, um, I don't, I, th- I think that will survive. I think that that will be viewed as, you know, compliant with the FAR. And so it's, so w- what we might actually see is uh, GSA kind of like, you know, wait a few weeks and see how things go with T4NG2. And right. assuming nobody, you know, launches another protest around it, then, you know, adopt that, something like that for Polaris. Right. It's almost creating a, I don't know if the curve is the right way to describe it, but in terms of awarding points, um, but yeah, that, that, that seems logical to me. Are there, is that, I mean, I, I don't want to put you on the spot. Is there, is there anything else you've thought of that theoretically could be an approach to handling this other than that approach? Well, the, the, this issue has come up again, over and over again in protests. And mm-hmm. there was a, a air force task order that was issued actually on the Oasis contract vehicle. And the task order was a scorecard procure, uh, procurement. And so the, it, the an MPJV protested, and the way the Air Force dealt with it was they allowed all of the projects to come from the mentor, and um, and the protege only had to fill out a little form that explained um, how it would um, be able to support the kind of work that was being executed on the task order. So in that sense, it almost kind of gave up a little bit on the protege mm-hmm. issue and said, fine, all the projects can come from the mentor. So that is another approach that um, GSA could take. Again, the challenge being that at that point, then you're you're essentially letting a large business bid on right. a small business contract. So 
the the the, the, the T4 and G2 approach is, I think, a cleaner way to do it because you're still evaluating uh, in the scorecard the protege um, while not making it so that the the large business can bring everything in in, in in its place. Yeah, it seems to me that that approach the Air Force took would like maybe on a task order, you know, there's a less focus on it, but a big contract like this, you're you to your point, you're really at that point point de facto allowing a large business to compete directly against you know small businesses. Um, yeah. So you know what I mean that that whole discussion, Brian took our second segment <laughs> yeah, how about that that's, that's, yeah. that's how complicated it is so when we come back um let's start turning to some of the other uh procurements or p- impending procurements out there that are coming up and we'll start with oasis plus okay that sounds great okay well uh my guest today is brian friel he's a co-founder of bd squared i'm roger waldron and you're listening to off the shelf on federal news network Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Walder. My guest today is Brian Friel. He's a co-founder of BD Squared. And we're talking about, you know, the wonderful world of IT, GWACs, and best-in-class contracts, these multiple award IDIQs that uh, have come hugely popular in government and particularly been focusing on the scorecard approach to the evaluation in the recent uh, Polaris bid protest decision. Uh, but now let's turn to... Some of the other ongoing or much talked about uh, IDIQ procurements out there uh, coming up. And the first one uh, that we can talk about is Oasis Plus. Um, So, Brian, let's, you know, what's the latest? What's the update? um, And just a little bit of history about it. Yeah, so Oasis Plus will be the replacement for the Oasis contract vehicles. Uh, which are the um, largest government-wide professional services contracts outside of the GSA schedules. And um, very successful, lots of users across Air Force, Homeland Security, lots of other agencies. The OASIS contracts end next year um, toward the end of 2024. Uh, And so that's kind of the deadline for GSA to get OASIS Plus up and running. And um, GSA originally hoped to get the RFPs out for Oasis Plus back in October, and it's May, and we haven't seen them yet. And uh, just, you know, some of the uh, kind of um, issues that have ended up getting dealt with in the Polaris case uh, are slowing things down, and the main one being pricing. Uh, They weren't going to do pricing on Oasis Plus. They now have to create um, a set of labor categories and, and assign some, some estimated pricing for the reasonableness rate. Uh, reasonableness discussion for each of them. And that's just going to take some time because the the scope of, of Oasis Plus is much broader than current Oasis. So they can they can obviously take the old LCATs that they used on Oasis and use them, but then they've also got additional domains covering intelligence and facilities, environmental and logistics that they are going to have to build up some um, LCATs for. So I, I, I think the earliest we might see the final RFP is in June. Uh, maybe mid-June. Um, it could come out, you know, later in the summer. It just kind of depends on how long it takes them to pull of the, pull all of that L- LCAT information together. Yeah, that's a good, that's a very good point that, you know, you forget that the scope of Oasis Plus, you know, uh, is significantly greater than the original Oasis. I guess, hence the Oasis Plus uh, moniker. <laughs> um, and they do, to your, to your point, uh, again, you know, they do have to evaluate 
uh, price on or cost on some manner for the additional scope. And that's, that's, that is probably where they're trying to work things out and identify um, the labor categories. The, I know we, the, we talked a lot about the joint venture issue. So do you think in this case too, that they'll look to, you know, sort of creating sliding scale for awarding of points, depending whether you're a protege and a joint venture versus a small business for the, small business set aside portions of Oasis plus. Yeah. I think the, the project issue, interestingly enough, is like less of an issue on Oasis plus because it's Oasis plus is structured as a, um, as a vehicle that anybody can get on as long as they get enough credits. So in some senses, you're not competing against other companies. You're just, you know, showing that you've got the the score, the, the enough credits to get on. And there's um, a threshold, a a threshold threshold model. Exactly. And, and the way the drafts for Oasis Plus are written, the uh, a mentor-protege JV could bring everything from the mentor. And I don't think that anybody would necessarily object because the, the fact that an MP JV can get on doesn't affect my ability to get on. So why would I care? Right. Um, from a legal perspective, they'll probably have to do some sort of adjustment because, um, you know, not proteges have to be treated more favorably than small other small businesses, but you do have to evaluate them somehow. And at the moment, there's nothing in there for the proteges. So I think they're going to have to, they might do something like the Air Force did on that task order, which mm-hmm. is uh, add a form that says, JV, uh, protege and a JV, tell us about yourself and how you're going to be able to do the work that's uh, in scope of Oasis Plus. Yeah. And I guess if you're, you know, this is kind of like a math, these scorecards are like a math problem because you think about it, right? It's, uh, as, as you were, you know, you know, talking about their their options and what they could or couldn't do. The other thing I thought of is, well, another way to address it is to have different thresholds depending on who you are, but that would also get pretty, pretty darn complicated, right? Yeah, but that, yeah, that is a good point. The, um, the, the, the trick is the, pro, the, the, and the JV itself, like, has to be treated the same. It's just mm-hmm. the protege within the JV has to be treated differently. Yeah. So they, they could also, like, lower the threshold and say, um, you know, a, pro, a regular, Small businesses have to bring projects that are over 250k a year. Uh, Proteges could bring a project that's over 150k a year. So they could also treat them more favorably from the perspective of the which projects can they use. Right. And do you think it's? Um, I would imagine it's going to be a more complex. Clearly, it's going to be a more complicated evaluation now that they have to evaluate cost, where they before they weren't going to have to do that. So that that's just adding another, you know aspect of the actual management of the procurement and the time it's going to take to get the awards that is that, is that a concern it's a concern because oasis the current oasis is ending next year and um you know on 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 most scorecards the government could get a thousand bids and they only have to open as many as it takes to get to the number of awardees they plan to make so like t4ng2 for example only has 30 awards so a thousand people could submit T4NG2, but they, they could only ultimately look at 30. And as long as the 30 are validated, then they can make the awards. But on Oasis Plus, they have to look at every single one of them. And right. uh, and the I know that this seems like 2020, end of 2024 seems like a long time away, but it's not that far away from the no, it is not. So I think at the end at the end of the day, what they're going to have to do is prioritize the evaluation process. Uh, especially, like you said, because it's more complicated now. Uh, the unrestricted side of Oasis ends a few months earlier than the small business side. 
So I think they'll probably, this is just me totally guessing, but I think they will prioritize the unrestricted side and make oh, an, an initial set of awards on the most, the likely most popular sections of Oasis Plus, which are really around management, advisory, and engineering. Make those awards first, then circle back and do the awards on small business and, and do it in a staggered way. So we're not going to get all of the domains awarded all at once. It's going to take, it's going to be in tranches throughout next year. Right. And to your point, um, like we're really, it's 18, essentially 18 months, right? Till the end of 2024. That's, that isn't a long time by procurement standards, especially something with, with the number of uh, off awards they anticipate, you know, would it be, it's, it seems to me there might be an opportunity because the continuity is the issue, right? And there's got to be a transition period. So you kind of like to have overlap in the contract vehicles, I suppose they could, you know, I think they have the capability to do like a six month extension of the current contracts. Uh, would that be something prudent to take a look at from GSA's perspective? Yeah, they, they you know, they add, they did a six month extension to the base period of the of Oasis. Yeah. And so I think theoretically, like they've kind of exhausted that ability, but uh, everyone says that and then they always find a way. So yes. I think they may end up having to do that. Um the uh you know do like a six month or a year extension a br- kind of a bridge right yeah between the two. exactly yep. yeah okay. all right well you know what um the next contract and we can start and just have a couple thoughts about nasa soup you know six i guess we're getting they're getting ready to do the follow-on and i and i know um there's a lot to talk about there as well and particularly the expansion or the scope uh, so maybe when we come back um we'll We'll focus on that one and then after that turn to NIH. Okay? Sounds good. Okay. My guest today is Brian Friel. He is a co-founder of uh, BD Squared. I'm Roger Walter, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Walter, and my guest today is Brian Friel from BD Squared, and we're talking best-in-class IDIQ contracts, government-wide vehicles, ITGWACs, uh, and Brian, uh, you know, let's now talk about the oldest, and I think right now the biggest by dollar volume uh, ITG whack out there. That's NASA Soup, and you know they're in the midst of planning for moving towards uh, NASA Soup Six, so the next generation of it. Um, what's your take? I, I think it's a really exciting thing. I, I actually think it's arguably the most important thing that's happening in this best in class space that we operate in. Because historically, um, soup is is largely viewed in the market as a reseller contract for for products and solutions, um, and it's already like you said, it's already doing twelve billion dollars a year, which is a phenomenal number. And they don't really do services that are separate from um, uh, from products and solutions right now. So the fact that they're going to expand, I think, could really um, alter the playing field in the in the government wide space and make it, it I, I could see soup uh, six becoming uh, potentially the most important it services GWAC, even more important than CIS before and the GSA contracts. Yeah. I, that's a, that's a, that's a great point. And uh, as you sit there and think about what's the addressable market for them, right. And if they're already doing to your point, $12 billion a year and products and, you know, and ancillary services for, you know, associated with those products, this expansion, um, you know, it, it, it really could, you know, 
fundamentally alter the the underlying marketplace. Um, so, uh, can you talk a little bit about um, what you're hearing with regard to the evaluation approach, the timing of things for NASA Soup? In addition, anything else about the scope that 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 would be of interest to the listeners? Yeah, so I think, and it, and it kind of gets back to the question about pricing on players because NASA has um, kind of separate authority to uh, avoid pricing at the IDIQ level. And I think that's a big reason that that NASA is expanding into the services space because they can disregard price at the IDIQ level and retain it at the task score level. And I actually don't think they'll get into the same mucky waters that GSA got into because their, their authority is in line with DOD's authority, which is much clearer. Um, so the way soup six is going to be d- divided is, is by what they're calling categories, category A, category B and category C. And this is my understanding that, that the current soup five, like the way it's done now, all the reseller kind of stuff that will be category A and then category B and C will be for services and category B will be for enterprise services, which means kind of agency wide, um, work. Uh, so think of like uh, NASA right now does a lot of its IT through single ward IDIQs that are either center specific, like for Goddard or Kennedy or or across NASA. I can see NASA putting a bunch of work in the enterprise services category B. And these would be very large task orders, you know, like $500 million, a billion dollars for somebody to run end user support across all of NASA. Um, category C is uh, uh called mission, mission services or mission IT services. And that's kind of smaller, smaller opportunity. So maybe, uh, maybe a help desk thing, but just for one ba- one military base or a software development of a particular system at the small business administration. So I ultimately see cat- category B being uh, for large businesses and category C being for uh, everyone, including small businesses. Um, would- do you see them given the the expanded scope and I think some of the challenges that we've seen, whether it's n i h or other when folks folks combine from a marketplace perspective there's a lot of attractiveness to like having a i t g wac that's exclusively for small businesses and then there's Alliance three, which is, you know, other than small or really is open to all businesses, small, medium and large as, a, you know, a, as sort of facilitating procurement planning and helping agencies, you know, more efficiently focus when they were trying to get small business credit. They have a vehicle that's separate and set aside for them to go to versus, you know, including all the contractors, regardless of size on a single vehicle, um, then you get into the whole set aside of task order issues in that context. Do you, how is NASA going to go about it? Are they going to, you know, do you think, do you see them having everybody on the contract altogether or they, do you see that they may make that, you know, category C set aside? Any thoughts? I know that was a long, long explanation, but. Yeah. Well, a lot of this, we don't quite know yet because um, we haven't actually seen a draft RFP and we are supposed to see one later this summer. Uh, my sense is that they uh, that NASA will probably do something uh, for lack of a better word, like scorecard ish, <laughs> like they will they will use some sort of methodology that asks you to show the past experience that you have that's in alignment with the requirements in category B and category C. But like category B being enterprise, I think those requirements are going to be very large 
and it's going to be hard for any small business to qualify because they, they might they could say theoretically show me three contracts that you have that where you supported 10,000 users well right. you know that's not going to just no small businesses would qualify for that whereas in the in the small business in the in category C which i think will be open to small businesses the evaluation criteria could say you know give me you know five examples in each of these sub areas of work that you've done that's somewhat similar so i think Category B may have a very limited number of companies and might look more like Alliant 2. And mm-hmm. uh, the the category C might be quite crowded and look more like maybe CRSP4, which has, you know, several hundred companies across all the different socioeconomic groups. And then a buyer could go to Soup and say, well, I would like to issue a task order to the SDVUSBs. And only then only the SDVUSBs would kind of have an opportunity to respond. And um I can see um, uh, that becoming a really important part of the IT services contract space. Every agency uses soup, like literally mm-hmm. every agency. And that's not something most contracts can say. And so they, so there's already a lot of um, comfort level across the government with using soup. And so if, if it kind of flip the switch and allow services to come through it, I think we will see a lot of agencies that haven't historically used government-wide best-in-class contracts um, move requirements over to uh, to soup. Yeah, for services because if they're using NASA soup there and they have had a great experience, that's that's that is a validation for them. That's a great point. So there is. Let's be interested to see what somebody, if anybody's done an analysis of what their realistic addressable market for this expansion is. Let's turn real quickly to NIH COSP SP four. Um, just what's the latest on that? So the, there were uh, a number of protests filed. Um, I think there were about 140. Um, honestly, like it's, I don't see any of those probably bearing fruit. Um, I think people were upset that they lost and they're kind of expressing that frustration through protests. But um, I don't see any grounds upon which they could um, successfully challenge the award of this vehicle. The, we're There's the Polaris... Uh, decision was a pre-award protest that was filed on the absolute mm-hmm. last day that they could possibly file a pre-award protest. There's the pre-award protest there. Time is over for CLSP4. So these are all post-award protests. And in a scorecard, the it's very cut and dry. The the, the cut right. score was X. Your cut your score was Y. Y is lower than X. And so you didn't win. And I don't see anything protestable there. So right. obviously everybody can, you know, kind of get their protests in and s- submit them. But ultimately... Anything that they would try and uh, challenge from the the setup of CSP four would uh, would not be uh, protestable at this point because it's um, too late. Right, that's kind of the you know impetus or the you know sort of genius behind the scorecards is you put that framework out there and you lay it all out, and you if you got a problem you got to object before the closing. You know, absent so and I agree with you, absent some sort of you know fundamental mistake on the in the evaluation somehow some way you know the scorecard is what it is right at the end of the day and there you know nitec plans on doing an on-ramp in three years uh the contracting officers repeated that often so anybody that didn't quite get it the first time you know they've got a few years to build up their capabilities and they can take another swing at it um you know in a couple years right and what's the dollar volume on an annual basis for and for us NH SCOSB three. Yeah, it's 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 really um 
very a very popular vehicle and it's grown by a few billion dollars a year over the past right. few years in part because remember there's no small business contract at right. gsa so right, right. So if you're going to go government-wide csp3 and then csp4 is kind of the only place you can go to do yeah. a small business set aside yeah the only game in town so last qu- quick question i know now you're starting to see scorecard-based uh, evaluations for BPAs uh, under schedules, I believe. So can you, can you talk a little bit about that real quick? we got about a minute left. Yeah, just on uh, uh, two days ago, the FBI issued a draft um, uh, RFQ for FBI IT Triple S2, which in that is, is their own kind of mini version of, of, of uh, Polaris or CSP4. And um, it is a scorecard. Uh, the FBI actually tried this once before three years ago and it didn't work out and they're back at it this time with um, uh, arguably uh, the most complicated scorecard I've seen uh, uh, in agency issue. Uh, but it's also very fast moving. It's due in uh, at the in, on July 24th. So it's basically less than two months from now. So the most complicated and potentially the fastest moving scorecard we've ever seen. All right. So you got your work cut out for you on that one. Brian, there, right? there goes my summer, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, well, um, well, I hope you have a good weekend this weekend. So, anyway, I want to thank uh, my guest today, Brian Friel. He's a co-founder of BD Squared. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Tune in Tuesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.